Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to turn to God's precious word for our Bible reading this evening. And I would invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, the New Testament scriptures, Paul's letter to the Romans and to the 8th chapter. And this is a tremendous chapter in God's precious word. And in the Bible, it would be one of my favorite chapters. We're going to move down to the 28th verse as we take up our reading. And thank God we have the scriptures tonight, the light of the gospel. And as we read God's word, we trust that you will follow with us. And that word will indeed find a resting place within your heart. Romans chapter 8 and the verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And we trust that the Lord himself will add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. Our drive-in service this evening takes the form of a testimony meeting. And a number of weeks ago, I asked our brother, Mr. David Johnston, if he would come to give that personal word of testimony, how the Lord saved him and of the grace of God in his life. I didn't realize when I invited him that he's actually a former member of the congregation here. And so he would be well known to God's people. And of course, his parents now are members of the church, uh, the Reverend and Mrs. Johnston. Our brother is now an Akali Free Presbyterian Church 
and he is an elder there. But we're delighted that he has come along tonight and his family with him uh, to give that word of testimony. And may the Lord indeed bless him and use him tonight as he speaks to us. Thank you. Well, can I firstly thank uh, the Reverend Kenny for the invitation to come here tonight and to share a personal word of testimony. It is good to uh, renew fellowship um, with him again. And uh, it is certainly a genuine delight uh, for me to be back here once again. As the Reverend Kenny has just indicated, we were, of course, members here for, I think, around about 10 years. Uh, both my boys, who are here tonight, were dedicated in the, uh, the building here behind me. And, of course, we have many friends here. And uh, again, as Reverend Kenny indicated, my mum and dad now attend here as members. So there's many reasons that I'm delighted uh, to be here this evening to share a word of testimony. And we do pray that uh, the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts tonight will be acceptable to the Lord. Uh, The Reverend Kenny uh, read through Romans chapter 8, and I will be referring to that um, later on in the testimony. What a fantastic passage that is. Uh, But I came into this world in 1970, and I was born in the land of America. I had a brother born in Canada, another brother born in Northern Ireland here, and a sister born in the land of Papua New Guinea. So that's a cosmopolitan family, if ever there was one. And of course, as you know, my mum and dad were trainee missionaries in America and then Canada before going to Papua New Guinea. And as I've got older, I've really recognized and um, really come to admire my parents and what they did back as 20 and 21-year-olds back in 1969 uh, to leave friends and family, uh, to leave careers to one side, and to have a passion to take the gospel away out to a tribe that had never heard the gospel before, and to see them reached with the gospel uh, is something that I admire them for. And uh, their faith, their Christianity had legs because they were willing to do that. And what an example they were to the whole family. Uh, We certainly thank God for them. So as you can imagine, I was brought up listening to Bible stories. I was brought up in that Christian environment. It was an American Christian school. So my life was permeated uh, with the gospel and, and children's Bible stories. And I believe it was the age of six that I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my own and personal Savior. Now, I don't actually have a date, but I can recall getting down beside my bed in the place we were staying in Papua New Guinea, and in simple childlike faith, asking the Lord to save me. It wasn't a long prayer. It wasn't a prayer full of theology. But I do believe and I do remember praying that prayer and asking the Lord to save me. And of course, God does save boys and girls, and we thank him for that. And One of the evidences, of course, of true conversion, it's not just praying a prayer. Uh, There's going to be evidence as we get older. There has to be fruit in someone's life if they've genuinely uh, come to conversion in Christ. And I can remember coming back uh, to Northern Ireland. It wasn't long before we were in uh, primary school, on into secondary school. And I can remember this struggle that I was having personally. And at school with my friends, I wasn't really any different than they were. I used the same language. I watched what they watched. But then on a Sunday or children's meeting night or prayer meeting night, I, of course, went along with with Dad, along with my brothers. And I'm sure people in the church would have thought that butter would not have melted in my mouth. Uh, But I knew in my heart that I was not living right. 
And I remember getting the Bible down and uh, trying to read Scripture, and it, it was a dry book. It was like reading the Encyclopedia Britannica, for those of you old enough to remember that. And, and I used to have this struggle, and ministers would come to the pulpit, or Dad would speak about how God can speak through his word. But it, I wasn't getting that. It was just a dry book to me. And I can recall Dad stopped me one night on the stairs in Carrick Fergus, where he was the minister, and indicating that he received a call to the Clocker Valley. And I remember saying to him immediately, take it. Because I thought, well, if I get a new set of friends, if I turn over a new leaf, well, then maybe, maybe that, that, that's what I need. And we went to the Clocker Valley. I'm sure that wasn't the reason Dad answered the call, of course, the Clocker Valley. Uh, I'm sure he, he sought the Lord's um, guidance and, and leading on that. We went to the Clocker Valley, but it wasn't long before everything was just as it was. You see, it wasn't turning over a new leaf I needed. It was to get back to the Lord. It was to get back in fellowship with him and confess sin and get into that right relationship with him. And I can recall many months going by of just this spiritual turmoil. Was I even saved? Did that prayer actually save me? How can you know you're saved? And as a teenage boy, I had all these questions. And I thank God that I come back to the Lord on the 22nd of September 1986. There had been a, a mission uh, in the Clocker Valley. Uh, the minister that night uh, spoke on Remember Lot's Wife. And I can recall sitting up near the front on the right-hand side and just during the, the, the service saying, I'm going to have this question answered tonight. And the minister actually had a cold. He didn't go to the door. And I went up to speak to him. We went into the minister's room. I told him how I was feeling, this spiritual turmoil, this doubt. And he simply turned me to John six thirty-seven: All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. And I can just remember the assurance of that verse, the relief at being right with God again. And you know, down through my life, that verse has been a, a particular anchor uh, to me through life's journey. Now, I've had two great passions in life. Uh, one is football, and the other is the army. Um, I've been involved in, in Irish League football, and indeed amateur and junior, probably off and on for about 35 years probably now uh, of, of my life, uh, and it's something that I've enjoyed doing. And I do pray for those um, people who are involved, Christians, particularly young people, uh, who are involved in sport, maybe hockey or rugby or football, um, that God would bless them in that environment, that God would use them, and that he'd keep them true to him. It's a tremendous uh, arena to witness for God, to be that salt of the earth. Uh, and I always try and encourage young people that uh, it's not for everybody, but for those that, that are involved in those sort of things, that, that seek to witness for God, seek to live for God. And God has certainly given me many opportunities uh, to witness for him uh, and also take a stand for him, particularly around the area of, of Sunday football. But the other great passion I had was the army. I'm not sure where it came from, but I just always seem to be fascinated um, by the military and by army. And uh, even as, a, as a, a younger teenager, I used to enjoy reading some of the Bible stories in the Old Testament. And there's so much of battles, of wars, of espionage, and of course many great soldiers. Uh, the Israeli army today still study some of Joshua's battles uh, by way of tactics and, and military strategy. So there's so much there is in Scripture and 2 Samuel 23 was one of those uh, passages I always enjoyed reading 
the, the 30 mighty men of David and the three that were mightier than the, those 30. And I always refer to them as the special forces of, of, uh, of King David. And I was fortunate when I joined the military uh, in 1988, the Royal Irish Rangers up in Oma. And uh, we have had the privilege to travel all over the world, really, uh, on different exercises and, and on operations. Uh, and I thank God for um, his keeping hand in, in all that we have done. We were in the ranks initially, then we moved into officer training, went to Sandhurst, and uh, all in all spent about 26 years uh, in uniform in the Army Reserve. Now, 2003 brought, of course, the Iraq War. And that, as many, I'm sure, can recall back, that was a, a, a testing time. There were uh, local soldiers here from the, the Army Reserve were called up to go to Iraq, and my brother Ian uh, was called up to, to, to go. Uh, I had been recovering from a, a broken leg at that point and wasn't able to go. And uh, I was asked to do some media work. And we were attending the congregation here uh, in Hillsborough before we, we moved house um, a few years later. But um, during that time, my picture had appeared in some of the local media. And just after the, the war finished, I got a phone call. We were actually in Wales from our adjutant. And he asked me where I was. I told him I was in Wales. He said, well, when you get off the boat, do not go home. Go straight to Grosvenor Road Police Station. Uh, you've, uh, your details have been found in a house in West Belfast. You're being targeted, uh, and you're not to go home. You have to go for a, a security briefing. So you can imagine the, 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 what's racing through your mind. And uh, I remember sitting in the Grosvenor Road Police Station and the officer producing this um, clear plastic um, envelope and in that, you could see the handwritten notes that someone had written about myself and my details and obviously the photograph there. And it was certainly surreal as you sit and see handwritten notes of someone who is potentially planning to murder you. Uh, but God was good and God was gracious uh, during that time. And I remember the, the Sunday after that happened, being here in Hillsborough and coming to the door and the Reverend Barnes saying, they're looking after you this morning, David. And there was a British Army checkpoint just right at the gate there that Sunday morning. And he said he had sort of never remembered one there before. But uh, they were obviously here just to uh, ensure nothing happened um, on our way home that day. So we certainly thank God for his uh, grace during, during that period. Um, then a few months later, we had the opportunity to go to Iraq ourselves in 2004. And I certainly never thought when I joined the Army back in 1988 in the Army Reserve that we would end up on operations um, out in the land of Iraq. And you may wonder, what's it like to be a British soldier? And more importantly, a Chris Christian British soldier um, out on operations. And you can imagine there's many memories, uh, leaving Brenda uh, on her own with a five-year-old and a, a three-week-old baby. Uh, we actually brought the dedication of Caleb forward to the church here um, before we went out uh, to, to Iraq. Having established my testimony with uh, new colleagues over in England, um, was, was something that we had to do. Um, there was the pressure of commanding British soldiers in an operational environment and the welfare, but also the experience of seeing so many Bible sites. We were stationed in Basra, which isn't too far from the Ur of the Chaldees, which of course was the city that Abraham was called out of. And we had the amazing experience of walking over the ruins of, of that ancient city, Ur of the Chaldees, that Abraham had come from, and so many other Bible sites are in Iraq. Daniel, of course, and his three friends were there, Jonah, Nineveh, Esther. Uh, it really is the birthplace of civilization, and what an experience that was. 
And of course, there was the danger, uh, as you can imagine, being on operations. And really, uh, probably the most vivid memory of the time in Iraq there, that nearly seven months, uh, was the reality of death. The reality of death. And I don't mean in any way to to be morbid, but uh, death is a reality for us, as we know. And probably even just through the, the COVID times that we've experienced and so many people passing through that illness and ordinary illnesses of life, uh, it, it just seems to be stark that hardly a week goes by, but somebody doesn't pass that, that we know. Maybe that's something that with age comes as well. But death is a reality. And if you're saved tonight, well, at least you have a confidence of where you will spend eternity. But if you're here tonight and you're not saved, well, then the question is, where will you spend eternity whenever you come uh, to face that last great enemy? And we would have stood in Iraq at times, and even in one given day, there could have been over 100 people um, killed in and around the area that we were based through, through different battles and car bombs, etc. Um, not long after we got there, sorry, just before we got there, but we, we saw the, the remains of a, a bus and 20 schoolchildren were blown up by a suicide bomber. And we stood at, the, at the, the carnage of this blue minibus thinking that 20 kids were just out into God's eternity. Very, very sobering. And there were 16 British soldiers killed during our tour. And we did hear the explosions uh, happening in Basra that, that did take some of their lives. And different incidents I could recount if, if we had more time. But, you know, the key moment... The key moment for me spiritually out there in Iraq happened in, in late June. And we had some of our soldiers caught in a landmine. And it was really the first incident that we had had since being there. And body armor had saved one of them. He was very heavily bruised under the back of his plates on his back. Shrapnel had obviously struck him. And he had survived. And his, he survived relatively unscathed. But his friend who was standing beside him um, was an intensive care down in Shaiba Log Base with shrapnel in his neck, but the size of a 5P piece, a pence, jammed in his neck up against his jugular. And it really was touch and go whether he was going to make it or not. And I had to meet this lad as part of my uh, second-in-command duties was welfare, and we would assess the soldiers who had been involved in an incident just to test were they okay to go back out in operations. And I'm sitting having a cup of coffee with this lad, our first incident, injuries, life-threatening injuries. And this lad says to me, he says, Sir, you're a Christian. How do you explain that I'm standing here talking to you? And he named his friend, and, and he's down in intensive care. How do you explain that? And if you're a Christian here tonight, if you're saved, how, how would you answer that? How do we explain when, when, when things happen, tragedies, difficulties, challenges? from a Christian perspective. And I can remember being, first of all, stunned by the question. It wasn't the question I was expecting. But then the Holy Spirit brought that uh, verse that, that your minister read out earlier in Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And I can remember just saying to that lad, look, I don't have all the answers. I can't explain everything. But as a Christian, I believe that God is in control. And whatever happens to me or to other people, I believe he is in control of, of what happens. And I remember going back to my room that night 
and, and taking the Bible, it was actually the Bible that the Reverend Barnes presented to me on the Sunday before going to Iraq uh, in the pulpit here. And this became my passage uh, during my months there in, in Iraq because this passage really, it's a source of comfort to believers. It's a source of strength. It's a source of encouragement. But it's also a source of explanation. And that's all contained in, in this verse, because Paul has an assurance and he has a confidence in his Christian hope, a confidence that God is sovereign, which means as a believer, he could face every circumstances in life. And in the final few moments tonight, I want to just draw your attention. If you have your Bibles there in the car, you can take them out again. We're going to refer to a couple of verses here. But really, the, the thinking is Paul's confidence, Paul's confidence in God's love. And to get the context of what Paul says in, in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, probably verse 18 is a good place to start. Because in verse 18, Paul talks about, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So the context here is of suffering of difficulties, of trials. And of course, the early believers were facing terrible, terrible persecution just for being Christians. And we know that history tells us about the, you know, the, been thrown to the lions, about being tarred and set alight, uh, about even the crucifixion that happened. Paul himself, history records, um, lost his life at the hands of this persecution. But Paul tells these Roman believers, listen, Yes, you're going through suffering, you're going through trials, but you've got to compare those with what's coming in the future. You've got to understand that God's in control and that there's a glory that awaits. And therefore, all things work together for good to them that love God. And you may have read about some Christian that you know who perhaps has faced a real difficult, trying time. Maybe it was sickness. Maybe it was terrible bereavement, a, a loss of a loved one in, in unusual and strange circumstances, and it's difficult to accept. Maybe people who have been in danger. And somehow their experiences draw them closer to the Lord. Their experiences, while they're difficult and they're testing, it seems to increase their faith. Isn't that right? I'm sure we all know people like that. And really that's those who understand and grasp and by God's grace are able to say that all things work together for, for their good and ultimately God's glory. And, you know, I can testify even as a family. Uh, during COVID, uh, my wife lost uh, her mother um, after a long illness. Difficult circumstances bringing a loved one uh, through COVID. And, of course, as many of you know, then um, just last year, my mother had a, a battle with cancer. And how do you explain those things? How do you deal with them? And I'm glad I can certainly testify tonight that as we as a family observe mom and dad. We were able to see those who were willing just to leave everything with the Lord. Their faith was strong. All things worked together for good. And when you asked mom how she was, almost inevitably the answer was, David, there's somebody worse than me. And that's the sort of grace that a Christian can have as they come through trials. So listen, the message of this passage is, as a Christian, you can face all of life's challenges all of life's uncertainties, their disappointments, the heartaches, the temptations, the fears, even the dangers. You can face them all if you are in Christ. 
if you're saved. And again, that challenge is to those who may not be saved. How do you face those difficulties? Who do you look to for help when the trials of life come? As believers, uh, we have Christ with us. We have his presence. We have his grace. And we have the word of God to rely on. And I'm going to simply ask and answer two very simple questions. Number one, why did Paul believe that all things work together for good? Why did Paul believe that all things work together for good? Well, the answer is in verse 35 to verse 39 that was read earlier. And for time, we're not going to read them all again. But um, what you'll find there in verse 35 is that Paul mentions those things that are, you could say, in the physical realm. He talks about all those things, tribulation, distress, and persecution, things that can happen to us physically. But he says, of course, that nothing can separate between us and God's love. And then when you go to verse 38, you have a spiritual realm. He talks about principalities and powers. And of course, Ephesians 6 reminds us that as believers, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So there is this spiritual realm that, that we're involved in, but there's nothing in that spiritual realm that can separate between us and God's love. And then there is the, the universal realm. Verse 39 says, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know, this verse I used to read sitting in Basra, we would have had mortar shelters, of course, over the accommodation, but you could pull your seat out under the mortar shelter, and at night you would just have this spectacular view of the heavens. The, the hot sun would have burnt up the clouds during the day. And if you've ever been in that part of the world, just, just the view of the universe is absolutely spectacular, sensational. Just the stars and the, the galaxies that you can, you can see. And I often wondered as I sat there was a little bit of sanctified imagination. Is that, is that what Paul was thinking when he wrote, he wrote verse 39? Under inspiration, of course. He had trying to encourage the believers going through trials and temptations and difficulties. And he says, there's nothing physical that can separate you from God. There's nothing in the spiritual realm. But he wants to emphasize to them just how secure they are. I wanted to look up and see the expanse of the universe. And in verse 39, there is no height. There's no height out there in the galaxies that can separate the believer. You and I here are saved from God's love. And I trust you're encouraged tonight uh, thinking about um, this, this point. But I want you to get, to get this, that Paul had this confidence because when you look at, at uh, verse 38, he talks about being persuaded. Being persuaded. He was convinced. He was certain. He was confident that there's therefore now no condemnation to him uh, being a, a believer. So why did Paul believe that all things work together for good? Because nothing can separate between us and God's love. But secondly, why could Paul be so confident in God's love? Why could Paul be so confident in God's love? Well, look at verse 32. What, a, what an amazing verse, verse 32 is. He, that is God, who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him? also freely give us all things. See, God 
sent his son. He delivered, he delivered his beloved son to the cross to suffer in our place, to pay the price of sin so that we might be saved. And I hope tonight that, that we'll all understand the cross again. That God the Father punished his own beloved son. And Paul's arguing here that if God was willing to punish his son, will he not look after us through life's journey? Will he not care for us as his children? And of course, he will. And there's so much mystery, so much depth in this verse that God spared not his own son. And the best way I can explain it tonight is if we were to go back in time around about 4,000 years to the land of Israel and we were to be able, as it were, to come close to, to a scene, we would see these two people walking up a mountain. And there was an old man and there was a younger man. And the young man was carrying some wood and there was fire there and there was a knife there. And if, if we were able to come closer and eavesdrop on the conversation, the, the, the teenager, the young lad would say to his father, Dad, where, where's the lamb? Where's the burnt offering that we need to offer to God? And of course, you know, this is old Abraham, that man who started off in Iraq, traveled over to the land of promise. And here he is now with his son Isaac, who he had waited years for, who he loved dearly. But God has told him, take your son and offer him to me. What a test of faith. Offer him to me. Genesis 22 verse 2 tells us, Take thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. I have two sons. They're both here tonight. And if you're a parent here tonight, just, just pause and, and try and enter something into what must have been going through Abraham's mind. It, it, it sends shivers down the, the back of my neck to think you could be asked to actually offer your own child. And yet that's what God asked Abraham to do. What, what a test. But Isaac willingly laid on the altar. Just as Abraham was about to take the knife and cut his throat, God stepped in, of course, with the ram. But listen, as we come to a conclusion tonight, this is the amazing thing about, about verse 32, God spared not his own son, that on the cross those 2,000-odd years ago, God the Father literally did kill his own son. Isn't that amazing? God the Father literally took the life of his own son. God delivered his son to the knife of the judgment for our sin. And he plunged that judgment, took the life of his beloved son. And yes, we could say that God delivered his son to the humiliation of the incarnation. God delivered his son, the Lord Jesus, to the suffering as a man for 33 years. Yes, God even delivered Christ up to the cross and all that happened with the crucifixion and the mocking and the, the pain of the nails. But it's much more than that. It's so much more than that. The words of that great hymn, death and the curse were in the cup. O Christ, it was full for thee. Jehovah bade his sword awake. O Christ, it woke against thee. In those three hours of darkness, after man had done everything they could do, God punished his own son. God spared not his own son. And what's this all about? Well, verse 33 and 34 shed some more light. The talks there about it is God that justifieth. It is Christ that died. 
And you see, because God is holy, because God is just, he can't look upon sin. And as much as God loved his son with a perfect love, he also loved us. If you're saved here tonight. And the only way that a holy God and a just God could be reconciled with sinners was through the death of his son and the blood being shed. And the good news is tonight, as we're in the car park here in Hillsborough, God spared not his own son. And we have a glorious gospel tonight because Christ took our place. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. And we're justified. We're declared righteous. And if God loved us so much and loved sinners so much that he was willing to allow his own son to die, will he not look after us in life's journey? Will he not care for us? What he asks us to bear in suffering and trial, will he not be there to help us and to support us and to give us his grace? Of course he will. Of course he will. You see, God, of course, is sovereign, and we talk about that from a theological point of view, God being sovereign, but I think that's a practical doctrine. It's a doctrine that we need to remind ourselves every day, particularly in times of challenging and suffering and difficulty. It's a practical doctrine about Christian living. All things work together for our good and for God's glory. If you're saved here tonight, do, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God is sovereign? Then the challenge is to us all, can we actually live like we believe it? Can others see in our behavior in life that we actually believe that God is sovereign and he's working everything out for his good? So believer, I trust you're encouraged tonight by this short word of testimony. I trust you're encouraged by God's word and what we read here in Romans 8. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, well, I have to ask you, what is your hope in? I don't know why I would have went to somewhere like Iraq and, and saw what I saw in terms of uh, the, the death all around. And I was not involved in any heavy firefights. So I always like to make that clear. So uh, I'm certainly not some sort of a, a war here or anything like that. Um, but we saw plenty out there. We saw enough of, of death and of carnage and, and things like that. I don't know how you'd face that if you didn't have a saviour, if you didn't have someone to walk through that journey with you. And I urge you tonight, if you're not saved, to come to Christ for salvation. Repent of your sin. Embrace the cross work of Christ. Through life's journey, especially in Iraq, I've experienced a range of emotions, uh, been in dangerous situations, certainly had my faith tested. Uh, I've made mistakes. I've failed the Lord many times, but I'm glad tonight I can say God has been faithful and that all things work together for good to them that love God. Amen. We are very grateful tonight to our brother David for coming along and giving that very clear, very faithful word of testimony. And he has brought us to think about the confidence that the Apostle Paul had, that confidence in knowing the love of Christ, being saved, being shut in eternally to that love, and knowing that no matter what happens in life or in death, there's nothing that shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I trust this word of testimony will come as a blessing to every heart and if you're not saved, that it might be a challenge to you tonight and that you would come and close in with God's offer of mercy.
Let us now unite together in a closing word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father and our Eternal God, we do praise Thee for our coming together here this evening. We thank Thee, O God, for Thy mercy, even in granting to us favorable weather. We praise Thee for help that has been given, and even for that clear word of testimony. And we ask, O God, that some seed that has been sown tonight might find that resting place within some heart. And, O Father, may the entrance of thy word give light this evening. We praise thee for those promises in the gospel where the Saviour has said, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, give those unconverted souls tonight that grace to come and that grace to call, and all that thou wouldst put the seal, the stamp of heaven's approval upon the gospel witness tonight, even with the salvation of some precious soul. Separate us now in thy fear and with thy blessing, and take us each one to our homes in safety, to abide with us there. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, our Comforter, rest and remain and abide with each one, both now and ever. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.